said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance and don't begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, The man with two coats should share with him who has none, and the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be Christ the Messiah. But John answered them all, I baptize with water. But one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John extorted the people and preached the good news. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Well, God, as we consider this challenging passage, as always, we pray for insight and understanding on who you are and into who we are and into the relationship you're calling us into with you, with ourselves, and with each other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we are in the midst of the Advent season, if you were not aware of that by the incredible... Uh, decorations, and uh, we're continually thankful to all those who came out to help us to make our building look fantastic in preparation for Advent, also in preparation for the many exciting things that are happening that we're going to tell you about, but I just want to get it out of the way. We're having our holiday benefit concert tonight, so if you're on Zoom or you're here in person and you want to have a great time uh, celebrating a great cause and also hearing great music, tonight is the place to be at 7 That is only in person, by the way. We'll let uh, Alex explain more about that later on. But anyway, we are in the midst of the Advent uh, season, and so during Advent, you talk about the coming of Jesus, right? And so last week, Michelle led us in looking at John chapter 3, 1 through 6. Today, we're looking at 7, and uh, here we get this incredible figure of John, Jesus' cousin. And uh, what a guy. First of all, greatest nickname in the entire Bible, John the Baptist. I mean, there are some other good nicknames. In fact, there are some other good John nicknames, John the Revelator, whatever. I'm partial to John the Baptist. Great name, great character. He was like the prototype prophet, so he dressed very rustically. He reminded the people of the prophets of old, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and, and so he was out in the desert, out on the River Jordan, out on just the edge of the of the land where, where things turned to, to the, the wilderness. And so he was out there preaching. And in fact, you didn't even know where he was moving all around. You didn't know where he was going to go. And so uh, if you were a person who heard about him, which many had, you would go out and you have to find him <laughs> preaching near the river 
uh, Jordan, and many people did go out. He was a uh, rock star. I mean, he, people would go and find him, all kinds of people from all levels of society. It was uh, hardcore at times, but it was compelling. And again, he reminded people of the prophets of old, and that was some nostalgia that went along with that. And so uh, as I think about John, I think that John is maybe, of all of the Bible characters, the most that reminds me of a New Yorker, right? Um, you know, I mean, New Yorkers are famous for our candor, uh, sometimes on the verge of rudeness. And so I love the idea that John, now you think it was a trip to go out and find John. You might not be sure where he is. He's out somewhere in the desert. And so the crowds would go out and they would find him when they got there. John's opening remarks to them are, you brood of vipers, you, you bunch of snakes, you nest of snakes. A brood is a, a family of snakes. That's quite a way to welcome your, your crowd. I mean, Alex was much more gracious this morning when he welcomed you all on Zoom and here. Can you imagine? Hey, you bunch of vipers. That would have been very New York of him. But we were a little less intense when we welcomed you here. So <laughs> this is the welcoming you get when you come out to hear John preach. But you know that the people ate it up. They loved it. Maybe something, something about hearing somebody tell you how you're supposed to live, right? You just give it to me straight. And uh, he was apparently incredibly good at this. And so they, they asked him, like, what, what, are, what, what, what must we do? He, he called them out, first of all. You all need to repent. But not just repent. You need to repent. And that repentance needs to lead to producing good fruit. And so the people had questions, like, what does this mean for us? And so then he would, uh, he would baptize them. And we're told that his baptism was a uh, baptism of repentance. People would come out, they would be compelled, they would literally come to him, and he, they would be dunked under the water and uh, come out of the water, and that was the baptism of repentance. Now, the fact that John was calling people to be baptized was very interesting because of this. Baptism was a known thing in religious, the religious world of the first century, right? Other religions have uh, the custom of baptism for purification rites and so on. But the fact that John was calling his fellow Israelite people, the chosen people of God, to come and be baptized was somewhat controversial because in their minds, <laughs> they didn't need to be baptized. It was only the proselytes, proselytes the, those who were going to become Jewish, that would need to be baptized. So the fact that John was not saying, hey, you've got to become Jewish, and to become Jewish, you're going to be baptized. He was inviting even the Israelite people, even the Jewish people to be baptized. And so this, this must have been challenging. This is why he had to say, just because you have a genetic link to Abraham, great Abraham, that does not mean that you are, you are fully initiated into the kingdom of God. This, this baptism of repentance, everybody needs repentance. It doesn't matter what your genetic origin is. And so John inviting people into baptism and baptizing them, and this is all rooted in the idea of repentance. Repentance, that you come and acknowledge your shortcomings. And so when I think of repentance, again, I think of uh, New York, and I think particularly of the New York city subway system. I've mentioned this before. It just, there's something about the subway that makes me want to repent, um, especially now if you've been on the subway recently. But, uh, so repentance and the subway go hand in hand. But for this reason, so I had to go to a, a meeting on 
Thursday. Kyle, you remember these meetings. You know, you know what I'm talking about. So all of the, all of the pastors from our area, from the Greater New York Conference, that's not all, unfortunately not all from our area, uh, because we have another, con- that's another story. We won't go there. Anyway, a lot of pastors getting together. That's a fun group, by the way. <laughs> North Bronx. North Bronx. So there is a lovely congregation in the North Bronx. They have a nice building. But I have been there a couple of times, but I rarely go up there because it's a long way away and you all are here. Anyway, we were called to go to this big building in the North Bronx. And so I got on the five train and you got to, is it the four train? Is it the five train? Where am I going? I don't know. So I get on the train and then I get on the two train. And um, of course, I go too far. So I'm literally sending emails or something and I get to the end of the two train. That's not good because I don't want to go to the end of the two train. So I get there and they're like, get, you, that is nothing worse than when they're like, get off the train, the last stop, and you know you are not where you need to be. And so that's what happened to me. So you know what I did? I repented. <laughs> Repentance literally means acknowledge that you have headed in the wrong direction and, 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 and turn toward the right direction. So I had to do that. I was at the wrong, I was in the wrong direction. I literally repented, which involved a Uber and lots of walking. And so I, I repented and I finally ended up very late. Kyle, again, very, very late. No breakfast, by the way, because we're different. I know. Kyle and I used to work together and we would enjoy breakfast on these adventures to places like the North Bronx for these meetings. So I was lonely. I was without Kyle. That's probably why I got lost, by the way. Anyway, I repented, I got an Uber, I walked, I ended up in the, the right place. And so this is literally repentance. The subway, I mean, if you've been on the subway, I, I don't care how New York you are, somebody at some point, you go, especially when you go down in the subway and you come out and you, you're not sure where you are, you're going to a new part of the city that you haven't been in before. I've been in with some like real hardcore New Yorkers and they come out of the su- subway and you're like, you know, where, where am I? And you start walking in the wrong direction and you try to act cool about it, and then you get on Google, because you don't want, if you're especially in New York, you don't want to look like you've been going the wrong direction, so you find a little, you know, a place where you can get on your map, and then, oh, I was in the wrong direction, and then you turn and go in the right direction. This is repentance. So that's the sub, Zoomers, that's the subway. Subway and repentance go hand in hand. Anyway, John's big deal was repent, repent. Acknowledge the areas in life in which you're headed in the wrong direction, and turn toward the right direction. That is what John is calling people into, and that's what he's baptizing people into, a baptism of repentance. You see the areas in your life in which you've been headed in the wrong direction and head in the right direction. But then he goes further. This repentance, this acknowledgement that you've headed in the wrong direction, fruit. So it's, just, it's, it's one thing to say, okay, I've repented, I've seen where I've wrong, I'm wrong, but then to, to have fruit coming out of that, to have results coming out of your repentance, John says, is essential. Produce fruit in accordance with your repentance. There's got to be a positive outcome over the fact that you have acknowledged the ways in your experience where you've been heading in the wrong direction and started to head in the right, right direction. And so, what does that mean for us? Well, for the people in, in John's day, he was very clear. Anyone who has two shirts, two jackets, two coats, 
and see someone who doesn't have any, you've got to share your coat with them. Same with the food. If you see someone who is, is without and you have, you've got to give. That's the fruit. When you repent, you can't repent and then not help other people. Repentance means that you're going to have a different perspective of others. You're going to help others. So the tax collectors, they came. They were notorious because they were kind of working for the enemy government. People didn't like them. They were also apparently notorious because they would take a little on their side. They said, Jesus, what must we do? Jesus said, don't collect any more than you're required to. Or John, sorry, we're not to Jesus. John said, don't, don't collect any more than you're, than you're told to. And then some soldiers came, those who are authority, and the soldiers were kind of like the, 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 the police officers. And, and they said, you know, what do we do? And John says, don't extort money. And don't accuse people falsely. See, things haven't changed that much in the two, 2,000 years, right? We still have authorities who are, 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 are doing shady things. And John is like, if you, if you repent, if you acknowledge the ways in which you're headed in the wrong direction and head the right, it's going to have fruit. There's going to be an outcome to that. And so the implication for them was very clear. John was very specific, but the implication for us is also very clear. We should be, if we're people of repentance, if we, we, if we believe that there are things in which we need to be doing that we're not doing and we come to, to that realization, then we should be producing fruit that should have an impact for us. And this in, impact is directly related, related to people being treated with equity. Right? People should be treated with, with equity. I mean, that was John's the implication. Hey, hey, you have, one, you have two coats, somebody else has one. If you, you're repentant, make sure that other brother or sister, they have a coat too. You can't keep it to yourself. And so we're called to this repentance and we're called to bear fruit if we're really repentant. So what does that mean for us? Well, we have to ask ourselves, what is inhibiting us from producing fruit in accordance with our repentance. I mean, that was the call of John. Produce fruit in accordance with your repentance. So for us, we have to ask ourselves, what's hindering us from, from producing fruit in accordance with our equity? Well, there's a bunch of responses that we could come, but, you know, I love the number three. So and you don't want seven. We'd be here all afternoon. You don't want not. So I get three. That's a bite size. So three responses to that question. What is hindering us from producing fruit? And the first one is simple. Some of us actually have never repented. Acknowledge the way in which you're heading the wrong direction and head in the right direction. And so we've got to reflect and ask, or, or, or we've repented about the things we want to repent about, but we haven't really gotten to everything, you know, those things that really are hard to repent about because, you know, it's going to have a big impact on our life. And so John is calling us into repentance. And so for some of us, we've been holding on to things. We know it's not what, what's happening, and our mentality and our actions aren't really that healthy for ourselves, our relationship with others, our relationship with, with God, but we haven't really gotten to the point where we're like, this isn't working. I'm headed in the wrong direction. And so if we can't come to the acknowledgement that there are things in our experience that are not benefiting our relationship with ourselves, with each other, and with God, we're not going to produce fruit because we haven't come to acknowledge that. By the way, those, that, that three-fold relationship is so important. You know, Christianity isn't just about your relationship with God. It's not just about your relationship with each other. It's that. It's also about your relationship with yourself. 
all three relationships are impacted. And so repentance impacts all three relationships. And for some of us, we're holding on to things that we haven't repented. We haven't acknowledged this is taking me in the wrong direction, and it's actually not even helping my relationship with myself. And so maybe, maybe we think to ourselves like, hey, I've been Christian all my life. In fact, ever since the pandemic, I have turned on Zoom both at 9 and 11.30. I go to both Zoom services, and sometimes I even come in person. And so it's real easy to think like, I am a religious person. And I, I, I do religious things, and I'm part of religious gatherings, and I'm going to be at the Holiday Benefit concert tonight and feel pretty good about that. But John spoke directly to that. Hey, hey, you can't say to yourself, hey, my father is Father Abraham. See, the, the appeal of those in the first century that were coming out to hear John was that they had a genetic link to the great man of faith. But genetic links aren't enough when it comes to repentance because we are all individual people, and we all have the responsibility of acknowledging the ways that we ourselves are headed in the wrong direction. And so John's call is to repentance, and if you're going to lean on like uh, your religious heritage or your family or you've been a Christian or you've been an Adventist for so many generations, it's not going to do it. Everybody is called to repentance. So we can't say, I've got Father Abraham and that's enough. John was like, no, no, that doesn't work. Uh, secondly, we have a difficult time bearing fruit toward repentance because some of us haven't embraced the reality that true repentance changes how we act toward and think about other people, right? There is a, a challenge in Western religion, I think in particular, that is very rooted in like individualism and how uh, religion and how faith changes our our our. our our individual world. But John is very clear, like your faith, your repentance is going to change how you think about other people, not just about yourself. So some of us, you know, we think of like the very religious person as the person who prays a lot and spends, you know, a lot of time studying the Bible and sings very holy and spiritual songs. That's, that's a religious person. But John actually doesn't mention any of that when he's talking about repentance. He says repentance is going to change how you act toward other people. It's going to make you think about other people and want for them to have equity with you. You can't, you can't have and be hoarding and them having nothing. No, when you repent, it's going to change how you think about other people. And some of us haven't reconciled that reality. We think that religion and repentance and Christianity is about our own personal spiritual life. And we think, boy, if I really repent, then I'm probably going to pray more, and I'm going to feel more spiritual, and I'm going to study my Bible more, and I'm really going to enjoy those songs more, and the sermon is really going to mean a lot for me. And John doesn't mention any of that. Repentance, the fruit, leads to thinking of other people equitably. <laughs> my brother, my sister is, without need, is with need, how can I help? That's true repentance. That's the outcome of true repentance. And so we've got to get over the idea that repentance is only about our individualism and our personal spiritual life, our devotional life. It's bigger than that. It's about our relationship with other people. The Apostle John, by the way, uh, John the, there's John the Baptist, and then there's John the Apostle, different people just to clarify, 
The apostle John, who walked and talked with Jesus, he said it like this, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? So the, the, the two Johns, they were sympathetical on this. They were on the same page. How can you say that you are a, a, a believer and that you've repented and acknowledged the ways you're headed in the wrong direction and not think about your brother and sister in humanity? It goes one and the same. It's impossible. John, John goes further. We won't read it all, but he's like, you're not a believer if you're not thinking about the equity of your brother and sister. You can't be truly repentant and ignore the needs of our brothers and sisters in humanity. It's just not part of the deal. It doesn't work. Then some of us have the difficulty with bearing fruit of repentance because we are putting our hope in the wrong things. We're told that the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John, John the Baptist, might possibly be Christ the Messiah. So for thousands of years, the, 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 the Israelite people, these people who go trace their heritage back to Abraham, they were waiting for this figure, this person who was referred to as the Messiah or the Savior, who was going to fix everything and came directly uh, from God. They have anxiously awaiting, ever since actually the first introduction of this character back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. So since the beginning, the idea that a Messiah is coming, and so now they go out and they hear this guy, and he calls them a bunch of snakes, but he compels their hearts and calls them into repentance, and they're thinking to themselves, is he the Messiah? So they're putting their hope in him. Might he be the one that is sent by God to reconcile all things? And it makes sense you get a good speaker, you get a really good speaker, and it's really easy to be like, I put my hope and trust in them until then they do something terrible. I mean, this happens time and time again. You know, we have these people on, on TV or whatever, and they make gigantic churches, and they're doing things, and they're compelling speakers, and then we find out something about them in this area and whatever. And when we put our trust and hope in the wrong things, we are going to be disappointed time and time and time again. It's going to affect our ability to bear fruit from repentance. And so we can't put our trust and hope in the wrong things. Which leads us to the question, well, what hope do we have? I mean, if we can't, if we can't put our hope in, in a, 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 a religious person who's saying religious things, what hope do we have? Well, John had it right on. John the, the, the Baptist, the key ca character of our, of our story today. Uh, John knew that his bold proclamations were going to pale in comparison to what was to come. He knew that when Jesus showed up on the scene, of course, Jesus was by this time already a grown man, but he had not started his ministry. And John knew when he showed up, things were going to be different. He said, I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than I will come. I am not even worthy of tying his shoelaces, because he will baptize not with water, but with the Holy Spirit and with fire. See, John recognized that his teaching was important, and it was, he was a forerunner to the coming of Jesus, that he was preparing the way, but his teaching was not enough. 
In fact, teaching is never enough. We need action. We need action. We live in the information age. We have access to almost any amount of information that we could possibly want. I, I could ask you right now to go to your phone and, you, and find some obscure knowledge, and you would find it in like 10 seconds or less, right? We have access to so much information, to so much teaching. We are not at a lack of, of understanding and a lack of information. What we are at lack of is power. And John knew that. He's, I'm teaching, I'm out here preaching, I'm baptizing, I'm asking people to be, re, be repentant, but my baptism is only a baptism of water. When Jesus comes, he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And when you've got the Holy Spirit who brings fire, then you have power. See, our issue is an issue of power. Many of us know what we should be doing. We know that there are areas or experiences in our life that are not actually helping our relationship with ourselves, with each other, and with God, but we don't have the power to transform ourselves. And John knew that too, and he said, someone is coming. I can't even, he's so, the shoelaces, I'm not even worthy of that because when he comes, he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. This world needs a little more Holy Spirit and fire. We need people who are transformed by that. We live, you know, we live in a broken world. We live in a broken society. There is so much animosity between people over various issues, political, social, whatever. There's so much confusion. There's so much anger. There's so much hatred. And John is calling us into, in, into a different kind of living, a repentant living that, live, that, that means we think of people not as adversaries, but as people that we can work toward together to all be privileged with equity. But that is never, ever going to be accomplished without the Holy Spirit and fire. John knew that. He called people to repentance knowing he didn't have all the solution because the only solution comes from the work of Jesus. So Jesus comes, and he, and he lives he was born. We're going to celebrate next week lessons and carols, our time together. We recite the story of the birth of Jesus. And so Jesus comes and he lives and then he dies and then he's resurrected. And we are told that because of this fact, we are enabled to have power. God is enabled to give us something that we don't innately and inherently have in ourselves. The Holy Spirit and fire which brings power for transformation to do those things to be the kind of people that we really want to be and to do the things that we really want to do, to have love and compassion and a desire for equity and an ability to see the needs of other people and actually act on it. We try to do that now. We try to help where we see need, but we're always conflicted because we have this desire for self-preservation and for selfishness that is always pulling against us. But when you have the Holy Spirit and fire transformed and changed, you will be. That was Yoda. No, that was not a quote from Yoda. That was a Yoda technique there. Y'all are with. God is calling us into repentance. <laughs> calling us to acknowledge the areas in life that are not helpful, that are hurtful to ourselves, 
to each other, to our relationship with God, and to be transformed and changed. But we're not going to do it on our own. We need the Holy Spirit and we need fire. And when that happens, people are transformed and changed. Think of the disciples, right? They were a mess all the way up to the death of Jesus. They were fighting with each other. They were arguing with each other. But we are told that after Jesus died and when he was resurrected again, they received fire. Literally, they were sitting around having a prayer meeting together and flames of fire came on their heads. And they were transformed to do something they could not do on their own. They became different people when we were empowered with different skills that they did not inherently have. And God wants to do that in all of our experiences. And he wants to have us bearing fruit, and that fruit will lead to equity for other people. And we will start to look at others and see where we can help raise everybody up, to bring everyone to equity and equality and privilege. This is the call of the gospel, and we're never going to accomplish it on our own. But as we confess faith in the Jesus who lived and died rose again and reigns supreme, now we can be empowered to be that kind of people. To be people who are working to the healing of this broken world, not participating in the continual adversarial nature that we're seeing right now. God is calling his people to be people of equity, to be people of love, to be people of compassion, and to be in dramatic contrast to what's happening in the nature of this world. And I don't know about you, but that's what I would love to see from a Christian community, from the Advent Hope community, that we are known in this city of being lovers of people of this city, of caring for people in, in this city, and, and working together for equity, equality, and privilege for everyone. Imagine what a testimony that will be. But it's never going to happen on our own. And so today, we confess faith in the work of Jesus. That's the call for all of us during this Advent season. Jesus came so that we could confess faith in him. He did the work that we cannot do. Because of that, as we confess faith in him, God is enabled to pour his spirit. God is not into forcing himself onto us. He's not going to force himself into our situation. And so God said, look, not until you invite me, but repentance does that. Once you repent and acknowledge headed in the wrong direction, you confess faith in Jesus, God is able to start working in your experience. This is the good news. And once you do that, God starts to work his transforming power in your heart through the Holy Spirit and through fire. And we need some Holy Spirit and fire today in my heart, in your heart, in our community. And so, as we celebrate this Advent season, may God do that in us. May he give us his Holy Spirit and his fire. In him we pray. Amen.